You are listening to Launchpad, the Dogsthorpe Infant School podcast. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome back to Eddie's Launchpads. It's the Dogsthorpe Infant School podcast for parents, teachers and schools. All you people who listen around the world, thank you for joining us. So whenever you're listening, you're more than welcome. We're always here 24-7 bringing you wonderful guests from all around the world, telling you a little bit about how you can teach your children, uh, whether you're a teacher at school or whether you're a parent at home. Now, if you have a young child in your family or you know a young child, sit them down and try asking them uh, if they know how bread is made or how their breakfast cereal is produced. And chances are they may very well mention the name of a well-known supermarket because that's how they get their food. They see you put food into into the trolley and so they assume that that's how you get it. But of course, All food has to be produced, and uh, if you watch uh, TV, um, there's wonderful programmes on about how uh, things are made in factories. But, of course, long before that, you need the ingredients. It's never been more important than now to teach children about how their food is grown and, more importantly, how it's produced and how it then goes on to make the products we all know and love. And our guest on Eddie's Launchpads today is going to help us with all of that. His name is Farmer Luke. And we're talking to him live. He's actually in his tractor and he's down, not on Dappledown Farm, for those of you who are a bit older in life who can remember that, but he's down on Daintree Farm. Welcome to the show, Luke. Hello, how's it going? I'm really excited to be here. Great. Really, really now, thank you. You're very, very busy. You're, you're halfway across the field producing the food that we uh, that we all enjoy. Uh, I'm Farmer Luke. Um, I, I am, I'm a farmer, obviously. I'm down here on a Daintree Farm. Um, I grow on my farm uh, wheat, potatoes, sugar beet, and a bit of barley. Uh, I have 400 acres, which is roughly about 1,300 football fields, for those who know what an acre is, very roughly. Um, my farming journey. So this is this is where it gets a bit boring, really. Um, I grew up on a farm, come from a very large farming family background, just outside of Peterborough. We're just down near Ramsey, so not very far away from, from Dogs Football. Um, actually, some of my wheat goes to that mill, or has been occasionally, but we'll we'll, we'll probably get onto that. So, my uh, very large family, my grandfather farm, dad farms, obviously now farm. So, I grew up on a family farm. Uh, I started to realise that the, when I left school, I went to agricultural college. So, I went to Moulton at Northampton, and then went to Milton at uh, Cambridge. Um, I when I finished that, I realised that the, the, the farm that me and dad had wasn't quite big enough to, to sustain both of us. So I looking for I was looking for elsewhere to like cut my cloth as well and like get into the industry and actually start farming in my own right. So I was lucky enough to uh, Dad had a odd square a square of a field which he didn't he, he didn't know what to do with and I said can I can I have it tires grow potatoes on it he said yeah you can yeah have a go if you want didn't think I was going to make much of it so I started growing early potatoes and 
when harvest come, I harvest them, bag them all up, and I took around chip shops. So they, they, I grew Premier, which for those who don't know, the early varieties, that's harvested around July, and they've got a very short shelf life. So uh, without getting too boring how the chip shop trade works now, they buy potatoes. Normally there's a merchant coming with a weekly order, but because mine was so short shelved and I had so little potatoes to sell, I used to nip in, sell them 20, 30 bags to get, see them through that week. And then whip out again. So I managed to slip it out and get paid uh, a lot of cash back in the day. Uh, for a 18 year old, having cash on the hips pretty dangerous. That was for the uh, uh, for the for the parents, especially <laughs> being a young farmer. <laughs> Always used to deliver on a Friday to make sure I got money for the weekend. And then when I was, I kept doing that for a few years, working with different people um, on and off, like ad living. And then I knew about the Cambridgeshire County Council. So the Cambridgeshire County Council are one of the biggest. Uh, uh, authority land owners in the country and I knew they used to uh, rent out holdings to people so I applied for a holding there was a lot of business applications business plans cash flows you name it a lot of stuff but at the time I barely knew about I made most of it up I was lucky enough to get an interview for that farm uh, there were 78 applicants as well so these are really hard sought after farms managed to get through the first interview got the second interview managed to get through there and lucky enough, I got it. I was only 21. The holding oneself was 180 acres. Uh, since then, we've built it up to around 400. It's a good-sized farm now around here. So that's where we're at today. And today, like I said, I'm literally trying to finish off my winter drilling, so I'm just sat on the tractor. Listeners, uh, the sound quality isn't as good as it normally is because uh, Luke's oh, obviously sorry. out. Now, you're right, Luke. Don't worry. It's obviously you're, you're out, in the, out in the field. So it sounds like you're, you're an astronaut on the moon, but you might as well be because before we started the show, folks, uh, Luke gave me a tour of his, his tractor because I can see in his cab. And it might as well be um, the next moonshot because uh, it, there's all of this technology now. It's all moved on. Uh, for those of you who uh, have followed th- this podcast, Podcast, you'll know that uh, I was born on a farm over 60 years ago. So um, it, things have changed. Farming has changed when I was on, on a farm and uh, we was all out in the open with um, uh, dressed up like fishermen, deep sea fishermen with all of our wet weather gear on. There's Luke in his T-shirt this time of year, sitting there in a nice warm air-conditioned cab. He looks, he looks the part with all of this technology all around him it, it, it the tractors have changed so much luke oh over the years tractors have gone from uh, like i said from even before tractors horses just pulling yeah. pulling what at the time was te- technological advanced equipment that they made to uh to now to nowadays even through even from the last since the mid 2000s the technology in farming has just exploded so mm. now we are i said i'm sat on, sat on a tractor that's driving itself and by today's standard, like literally today's standard, this is a very basic tractor compared to what they're about then. So the tractor all works on satellites. I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop at the end here so you can hear this because this, this is just amazing. So it works on satellites. So I have a satellite receiver in my tractor that sends a signal to a satellite in space, which then sends that signal back to a base station within the UK that sends it back to my tractor so it works out where I am in the world. And I just tell it, how far to go up and down the field, what line to follow. So I put an A and B line to make sure it's straight within the field. You'll keep going up there. Now you can go one stage further with this where the signal still sends a signal from the tractor to the satellite back to a base station. And that'll go back to a closer base station and even to a base station, a port base station within the field. 
Now, that accuracy, now my accuracy, just with the one stage, if you like, can go down to 10 centimetres. That accuracy, we're talking millimetres. We're talking two millimetres, two, three millimetres. So that technology, technology again, can then go further on, and we can actually tell stuff that we use in the implements where to plant seeds within the fields. So we can plant them however we want. We just tell them what the space and we are, where precisely we want them want the seed to be planted and this technology then will remember where that seed is so when we come back in again the, the technology now is just starting to come through that we can go through with weeders that can actually go around the crops and we're talking like we, we plant them a few centimeters apart we can go around the crops to cut the weeds out and go even further with 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 nutrients when we use a fertilizer we can map the fields to see what the best part of the fields is and what the data is there and use that data that we collect from harvest or other studies to actually uh, put where the nutrients is needed and where it's not cut back on inputs. So this is this. You can tell I'm trying to. It's really exciting times. Yeah, it's really, really exciting. Mm. So the going back to how I looked a minute ago, I'm sat in a t-shirt. I mean, I'm pretty clean at the minute because all I've done is just go on the tractor. But I stay more or less clean now because the technology is taken over from the from how you used to sit with your wet weather gear. Mm. You know, grease on tractors. You mm. now you can just get in and you can wear a suit in there. Mm. Because it's so much more now. You need to know how to how to work a computer and how to work that than what you do actually now physically mending stuff or using spanners. Mm. It's just such a cool industry to be in. I know people are going to think that's strange, but actually do some a look at Google and yeah. just look at the trackers nowadays. Mm. We need people in it that knows about computer systems more than what we do actually. You know, actually hands on work now. Absolutely incredible, and and I, I when I was v- very very young, when I was a toddler and I was an infant myself, uh, my granddad and my dad used to use horses to to do to do ploughing, and then we we got my dad had a um, a very small tractor called a Massey Ferguson one three five, and the engines were built in Peterborough at Perkins, and um, if it broke down, you'd get out and hit it with a hammer or something, or you know try and <laughs> try and fix it. Uh, but it, it is a lot safer now too, because obviously those tractors were very, very dangerous, and and people people were seriously hurt on on tractors like that in those days. Whereas you're in in safe, and also when it comes to combine harvesters, I know we complain about them. All you parents and and carers and family members out there who drive over the summer, we moan about these combines on the road. But they are much safer now because the farmers used to sit on these combine harvesters and breathe in all of the dust and it used to be very a very very dangerous job whereas now luke you've got air conditioning oh yes we we look back at the old tractors uh dare i say those a bit rudimental now <laughs> to yeah. what they are now you're, you're literally sitting on top of a hot engine that is what you were sitting on nowadays like i said the the, the the safety aspect is is a major driver in the industry even though tractors have got bigger we're actually not safer the cabs are better there's a lot more technology on now to, to, to help us stop us injures ourselves so we go off the seat, the track stops so we don't get run over. But even with all this safety stuff that we've got within the industry, we're still one of the worst performers in the ways of deaths compared to um, other industries. And sadly, it's because of our attitude. It's because mm. most of us have been raised in the industry. We think we know the, we think we know the dangers and we just put ourselves out there. Mm. And it, it, it's, it's a combination of sometimes lack of education and it's a combination of not having enough time as well. It's very seasonal. We're pressured a lot. Cost as well. Um, one of my favourite taglines is safety shouldn't cost lives. No. So, the, so the safety aspect as well. And, to, and it's just because we're working on family farms as well, 
there's no real health and safety officer. You are basically the health and safety officer. You're the fireman. You're the first aid. You're everything. We're basically one man bands now. But the, mm. but the more the more people that are in the industry, the more education we're getting, we are getting a lot safer. A lot, lot, lot safer than what we have been. I know that's ironic with the figures, but we are. Perhaps it's timely uh, for, I know the children that listen to this podcast. Children, if you, if you live in a village, and we know that we've got some children who live and who listen and go to schools uh, a bit further out from than Dogsthorpe, if you've got a farm near you, don't, don't go on the farm plane because they are very, very dangerous places. They look wonderful, uh, exciting places to explore, but there are lots of dan- there's lots of dangers on a farm, yeah. so, so please, please, don't don't go out because I think it's fair to say, Luke, that um, particularly with some types of farms, they're as dangerous as the railway, aren't they? Oh yeah, definitely. Tractors are getting a lot bigger. They're going faster on the road, and if you get you, you, you don't get too close to them when they when they go by because just 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 the wind that's created by them. It's the same as an Arctic. You might think straw bales are very fun to play on, but again, there's little hidden dangers in there. There's holes you can fall down. Other bales can fall over. So, yeah, even though farms are fun and people want to see them and we, we need to go and see farms to see how stuff operates, they've still got to be, you've got to remember, it's still a working and very dangerous environment mm. to work in. Though mm. so, tractors are definitely, definitely getting safe in the industry as a whole. Mm. We're, we're going up, like, so the technology involved in it mm. now is really helping. And but, going back to the comm mines as well, like I said, the comm mines are getting bigger, but mm. as well getting very safer as well. I mean, my comm mine's a lot better than, than my tractor. Like, you know, a lot nicer to sit in. It's got a leather chair in it. Mm. Leather chair, leather. Oh, leather chair, yes. <laughs> the Rolls Royce, eh? <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> incredible, incredible. I mean, it, it, obviously, um, I would imagine that the, the tractors are more expensive and the equipment is more expensive because of of the equipment that you've got. But um, you don't need them. When I, when I, again, when I was a boy and when I was growing up on the farm, there was lots of people needed on farms. You'd always see loads of people out on the fields working. And and you do still see that occasionally, but more often than not, you see that lone tractor going up and down. Um, but I shall look at it whenever I see one now, I should look at it in a different light because things have definitely moved on to when I left the farm um, about 45, 50 years ago when I left the farm, 45, about that, when I left the farm. And um, uh, things have moved on in all those decades. Take my farm, for instance. So going back to going to Danger Farm, it was acquired back just after the war, after the First World War, because every soldier had a right to have a little piece of land. So the local authority, the county council, had to buy land to give to the soldiers that come back from the trenches in the Western Front. Um, and there was about 12 different tenants down on here. There was yeah. even a tiny bit more, 14, 12 tenants. Then that got moved on down to, when we're talking about the early 60s, down to about five or six. Then into the 70s, there was only three and 80s. Going back to the early 90s, there was two, and now there's just myself. And I've even added to the to the holding with other private landlords, and I'm now not even on the same, but then plus a, plus a half as well. So farms are getting bigger, bigger and bigger and bigger, and they're just going to go up. So the people that needed it, like you used to work on the farms, I think everyone I come in contact um, without being rude for your generation had a contact with a farm. They worked on a farm in the summer, mm. but now we're not got that anymore because yeah. we've got one-man bands. We can do it all. Well, except a little bit of help here and there, 
But yeah, it's just amazing. It's mind blowing when you think, mm. and that's only what fifty years. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, when I think of my little village of of Borden down in Kent, uh, everybody in that village, more or less, uh, there were one or few, uh, one or two exceptions, but most of the people on that in that village worked on a farm somewhere. Uh, and doing all sorts of things, um, but were working on the farm or very, very close or connected to the farm. Whereas now, of course, um, villages are, are full of all sorts of people who go and do all sorts of things, whether that's commuting to London or whatever or working from home. Um, so village life has changed as well, hasn't it? Definitely. Definitely. I, if you ask my neighbour who's been here um, since the, I think it's the early 60s or late 50s since he moved in here, he knew everyone down this road. There's about, was it, nine or eight houses. Now he can barely name two. Yeah. So that's just like in a small, very small vicinity down one road. So you can just tell how, how they're changed. And none of these have got jobs within agriculture, even mm. the small little village that I live in now. Mm. Everyone knew each other, as he kept saying. And now, no, they're up in the morning, getting the train down to London, switching on the laptop, doing a lot of jobs that weren't even back in the 50s. All of a sudden, this, the house stuff's changed. Just boom, now it's all... It's all done online. I mean, like right now, we're, I'm sitting in a tractor talking to you on my phone. This would never have happened no. what, five years ago. Exactly. Five, six years ago. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, listeners, this is going to be a first because this is such a huge subject that, that Luke and I are talking about. I'm going to split this into two, this, this program. This is the very first time I've done this. I'm going to split this interview into two. So we're going to be two parts. So although Luke and I are going to be chatting and carry on chatting, uh, the second part of this interview will be uh, next week because I'm going to make sure that we, we give this the important time that it has. So um, make sure that you catch hold of part two which will be next week but this is part one we'll try not to leave it on a cliffhanger hopefully um, it won't be like who shot JR we won't finish up with with me slumped over in a chair somewhere um, but we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll see how we get on <laughs> um, Luke <laughs> Luke, it's it's a it's a very very important subject this because um, and it's very very important for for families because we've got so used to going to the supermarket and just grabbing stuff off of the off of the shelves and having everything twenty four twenty four seven um, and and having all types of food the same way around. When I when I was young and and we was on the farm, there was a season for everything. And when the when the apples ran out, we had a little um, freezer that we used to freeze. Uh, well, quite a big freezer actually. We used to put our apples that we sold. We used to put in this cold store, and then sell them. But once they were gone, they were gone. Whereas now we're so used to having everything all year round that farming and the way that we approach food is somewhat different, and uh, we th we easily throw food away and we don't carry on using it or we don't appreciate it because it is so widely available but what that's also given us is a generation or several generations where people don't know where their food or how their food is produced no definitely not now for a start i'm really on to be the first one to have a two-part series so this is amazing <laughs> i'm really really happy to that well, it's a big no, big subject <laughs> it's a big subject and i'm really honored this is a two-part now this is this is you are you are you are you are dead right, and this is a big big subject. And I do a lot of talk of this, a lot of thinking, and I think people people do take food for granted. We eat three times a day, and people forget how it's produced. Now, my 
personal opinion, I think it's shared by people. It's no one's fault that this has happened. This is just a gradual thing that's happened. And it's not, I'm not going to stand here and say, you should find out where your food comes from because we are farmers and that's what we do. We feed people. It is no one's fault. It's the lifestyle now. We've just been on about back in, back in the early 50s, 60s. Like you said, life was different. Nowadays, um, the work-life balance that they had in the 50s was pretty much, it, it, it was governed a nine and then pack up around four, didn't you? You had like a lunch break at half ten, you know, a good hour. Uh, it was a lot more leisurely back in the day. Dare I say, I'm going to probably get jumped on by some of your older <laughs> listeners. But nowadays, you can see the trend has gone up. People are working longer. They are working a lot harder. You cannot get away from work with the technology that's boomed. Yes, it's a really good thing, but also it's a really bad thing. I bet some of your uh, people who are listening to this are probably actually writing emails now or catching up on work, and it could be, what, half, half 11, 10 o'clock? So people's lives are getting, have got busier, and this is some of the connection gone from food, and it's, all, and it's also been a generational thing. So I, I keep mentioning the war. It's a massive thing that Less food was important in this country. We couldn't mm. grow enough food in this country. So government policy went, we need to grow food, we need to make it cheap. A lot of people had allotments to supplement what they could. My granddad had a, an allotment up until the day he couldn't do it anymore. My dad, when I said about allotment or garden, no, I'm not going to do that. I've not got time or I've not got the energy to do it. So if I wasn't in the industry, I would be one of these people now that probably wouldn't care where my food comes from or even think about it. So that is one of the one of the reasons why. Another reason, again, going back to how busy we are, when we go and buy food and select food, with, the, with how tight we are and how little time people have to go and do this. Like I said, food's available 24 hours a day. You could go online, you can get it delivered to your, to your door. The supermarkets are open, so you just go and get it. It's just part of the daily chore, if you like, like it is with the washing. People are not selecting food like they used to because we are now, we are heading, we are living in a, a cost of living crisis. We can't get away from it. People are choosing to heat or eat. So when they're selecting food, they are cheap. They're looking for the cheapest to buy one. What's quick? What's easy to cook? What's easy to do? I've got kids. I need to get to school. I mean, I've got two young children, and going around the supermarket with them there is just it. It is a hassle and a half. So I can see why people are turning to click, click and collect. Now this is getting a problem. Going back to your first first thing you said about ask your child where. Um, wheat comes from or bread comes from, they're going to say major supermarkets. I'm starting to see with some of the people I talk to that the kids aren't even knowing that. They don't even know where the food comes from because a lot of parents now, this is not a shot of parents, I'm not getting anyone at all. This is just a general look. Uh, now decided to click and collect or they're getting it delivered straight to the door when the kids are asleep. So they don't even know that the supermarket provides the food. They open the cupboard, boom, there's the food. Again, this is no one's fault whatsoever if anyone's at fault and if any farmers are listening i'm going to get shot for this it's our, our fault it is our fault we have been such a closed industry for so long tighten it you know get off my land the doors are shut you can't see your food's produced we don't want to tell you you know you just buy it and that's it and this is again some of the reason why the kids don't know if we're not out there telling them or showing them or showing just the public what fantastic work we do to produce high-quality standard food in this country. Now, I know that sounds a buzzword, but I truly believe that. I truly, truly believe that. The, the food that we grow in this country now is of the highest quality and safe as it ever has been in generations, even when they used to know how food was grown. 
what we're growing now, ironically, is a lot safer than what they were back then because we've got a lot more technology involved in it, a lot more scientists, a lot more legislation, and a lot more traceability on farms than what we ever have done. So it's no one's fault that we are lost connection with food, and I'm on a massive journey, journey or on a massive crusade. That's a better word. I'm crusading to, to tell people what we do and show what we do on a farm, and especially for this area as well. Now, for those who just look out your window now, if you are in the Peterborough area, how many cows can you see? Yeah. Not very many yeah, at yeah, all. How yeah. many sheep can you see? Yeah. Not yeah. very many. We are in the best part of the UK for the fertility of the soil. This is some of the best land in the world. And that is why you don't see any livestock. Livestock tends to be farmed on land that we can't farm. That's it's it. used in other productive ways mm. to raise livestock. So mm. here... We are the breadbasket of the UK, I like to say. We are the American plains. This is the place where we produce the most food. Now, here's an interesting fact for you. The Fens, even though it's one of the smallest land masses in the UK, we produce 7% of the UK's food from the Fens. That's incredible. 7%? 7%. That's it's incredible. It's just mind-blowing. Going out onto the Fen and you smell the soil, you can smell it. In certain times of the year, you can actually smell that. So, and and because of all of its history, the rich history of the fens, uh, and the way that it we the farmland was created, meant that there is so many nutrients in it um, that produces wonderful food. So, whilst it is a surprise to hear that there's it's that high percentage of food it's in a way it's not because it is very very good soil and um the work that you're doing which we'll talk about next week uh luke is absolutely important because um of course the children don't know but now those children will grow up to be adults and they won't know and then they'll be bringing up children who won't know and it's it can be a vicious circle so in the end we don't actually know what we're eating or how it was created because we just unwrap the packet or we we snip off the end of the of the box and we just pour out the cereal not realizing how it is created and and that's why the work that you do in schools which we'll talk about next week um is so vitally important but listeners we will be back next week with a uh, part two of our interview with luke just hang on in there you have been listening to the Dogsthorpe Infant School podcast. Join Captain Dave and his co-pilot Eddie Edster, the well-being dog, on another launch pad soon. Until then, always remember to be kind, be respectful, and most of all, dream, believe, and shine. Dogsthorpe Infant School is part of Hampton Academy's Trust.